What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. It is Tuesday. We've got a great show coming your way. Congressman Jim Jordan, he is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, the founder of the House Freedom Caucus, uh, and a real supporter of President Trump. He is joining us shortly to talk about these impeachment inquiries, as well as all this spending. Where's it going? What's going to happen? And the fate of Kevin McCarthy. I want to ask him about that as well. Um, It's going to be a really interesting conversation because this is a guy who's at the forefront of it. And I think a lot of people listen to Jim Jordan when it comes to uh, where we are in this process. So uh, a lot of great questions and hopefully some really good answers coming your way shortly. Also, Hunter Biden, you know, you think the old saying goes when you're in a hole, stop digging. He's now suing the IRS, claiming that those whistleblower agents sort of gave out information that they shouldn't have. I mean, I'm not really sure that that's the smartest move. Uh, It's like, dude, you didn't pay taxes. Uh, You lied about a bunch of stuff. Uh, You were doing a lot of nefarious business practices going after the IRS. Um, claiming that you're the victim, probably not a big deal. Something that you want to highlight. Also, on the debate front, that second debate coming up, Trump, we know that uh, he's not going to be there. He made it clear from the get-go he wasn't going to the Reagan Library. But a big update headed your way on where he is going and what he's going to do that day. Uh, We know from the first one he did that Tucker Carlson interview. Well, a big announcement coming up as far as what he will be doing this time to counter-program the debate, because you know Donald Trump, he's got to be in the center of attention and suck all the oxygen out of the room. And you know what? I think he's done it again. So, a lot to break down. Let's get into it. All right, as I said, some news on the debate front. That second debate, September 27th, at the Reagan Library. Fox Business will be the host there. Dana Perino, Stuart Varney are going to be the moderators. They've also got this Univision moderator as well. We'll see how that um, affects or changes the dynamic. And we'll break that down a lot next week. So we got plenty coming up. But as I mentioned a moment ago, Donald Trump, the first debate he counter-programmed, had that talk with Tucker Carlson that did very, very well. So what was he going to do this time? Well, He announced it. He's going to Detroit. Uh, He's going to have a primetime speech on the 27th to the United Auto Workers who are striking there in Detroit. He is literally putting himself right in the middle of this. Now, as you know, here's the thing that makes this all fascinating to me. Um, The UAW, and frankly, all unions, 
generally support Democrats. And Joe Biden likes to tout himself as, you know, Union Joe. And he's gotten all these things. But the UAW has not announced an endorsement. And this new leader that the UAW have, they, they, someone called him this morning militant. He's hardcore, man. Uh, I don't see, you know, who knows? This thing may get solved. But remember, Joe also said that he wasn't worried about this. And I think that was a stupid, stupid political mistake to say that you weren't worried about a, uh, the, the, for the first time ever, all three of the major auto workers going on strike uh, from the big three. Well, anyway, these guys, one of the big issues they have is obviously pay, but also this push for electric vehicles. Now, what does that mean? It means fewer auto workers, more automation. They're very concerned. And here's the guy, Union Joe, that's jamming them, right? So they're, they're upset. And Trump is going to go and talk to him about how the fact that he, you know, he, he wants to build good automobiles and he doesn't care if they're combustible automobiles and run on gas or EVs, but he wants more production in the United States. It's going to be interesting. Um, and I think that he has done very well with this populist message. He did it really well in 2016. I've always believed that a lot of the, first of all, there's two types of unions. You got the public union, the teachers and the federal government workers, and those guys are helpless. Um, but the, the private sector unions, um, I think that Trump has a connection to, you know, as a guy that was a builder and dealt with a lot of these stuff, it, it's going to be interesting to see if he can connect with them. And it's not about winning them all. You know, it's about winning enough of them. This is Biden's base. You think about Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, a lot of these places where there's a decent amount of, obviously Michigan, but there's a lot of these union workers. If he can find himself on the side of them, uh, this is going to change. But anyway, as far as the debate goes, this is another opportunity to counter program, right? He is going to be out there talking about uh, his plan, his policies, hitting Biden. And there's no question in my mind that you're going to see um, a lot of media attention. How much? How much does that affect the debate? How much do, you know, this is supposed to be a business debate. Dana Perino and Stuart Varney and the folks at Fox News, how much do they talk about what President Trump just did or said? Um, so I think that you're going to see a lot of discussion that day about Trump and what Trump did and what Trump said and asking them to react to it. So again, another a great opportunity from Trump. The only thing that I would throw out there that's going to be interesting to watch is does this get solved before then? Do they find some kind of short-term fix, almost like the, the CR of, of union fixes, the short-term deal? Do they get something? I don't know. But I think that's what I'm going to watch because you're playing with fire here. There's so many days between now and that first debate. Trump better have a plan B uh, because it won't be the same if they've already solved this or if they have a short-term deal. So, but leave it to him, man. Counter-programming all the way. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day, and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Let me get back to what's happening in Washington because uh, I'll get to this in a minute. President Biden's in New York for the UN General Assembly. And a lot of the things that are happening are taking away from some of the other 
stories that I think deserve attention. One of them that got scant attention uh, was the Biden administration doing this prisoner swap with Iran. We got five folks, um, Americans back that were held in Tehran. We gave them five, even Stephen, right? Nope. We, the Biden administration, aside from the five for five, unfroze $6 billion that was being held uh, under sanctions. Six billion with a B. Now, I tweeted this out earlier. What did they get, a pinky promise that they would only use it for humanitarian purposes, like food for their... These people haven't cared about their people ever. And you think you're going to unfreeze $6 billion. They're going to, okay, you know, pinky promise. We'll only use it for food and blankets and things like that to take care of the people that we haven't cared about ever. I mean, how stupid are you? This is the same team that traded for the merchant of death with Russia. Who's making these deals? I mean, they must be the most incompetent person ever. And by the way, John Kirby, the spokesman or the deputy, whatever White House spokesman that he is, co-White House press secretary, was on ABC this morning with George Stephanopoulos on Good Morning America. Not once does the $6 billion come up. What do you think they're going to use that money for? Maybe they might use it to enrich their nuclear program again. Do you not think that this money is going to be used to come back and hurt us or our country and our citizens? What a bunch of morons. I just don't get. And the thing is, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Think about this. You go five for five, then you unfreeze six billion bucks. And no one's going to ask you a question. You're on Good Morning America and Stephanopoulos doesn't even bring it up. You know you're going to get a pass. That's the thing. No matter what they do. Pass, pass, pass. They can do nothing wrong. I, I just don't, it is mind boggling. Six billion bucks. You don't think that's coming back to bite us. Unbelievable. What a joke. At the same time, President Biden's up in New York at the UN General Assembly. China's not here. Russia's not here, obviously. And he's going to, you know, he's calling for more support to Ukraine. So $6 billion goes to Iran, more money going to Ukraine. And I just want to say this, the thing that I think is so interesting and where, I'm, where I, I, I think that I feel like that we've lost the discussion here, why is it wrong to call for more accountability? We're sending billions of dollars. I get this, that we don't want to go fight their war and blah, blah, blah. Russia continues to take over land, the president, that sense. And, and I do think that China is watching this. They don't see us standing firm. They'll take Taiwan and that wreaks havoc on our national security, the economic well-being of the world. Okay, but what is wrong with saying if we're going to send them money, there should be accountability? This is unbelievable. It's just like blank check, blank check. And you're wrong. You're considered a bad, evil person if you think it's wrong that we should be asking for this. If you think it's wrong that we should be saying, hey, Europe, why don't you pay a fraction of what we're paying? Because you guys will bear the blunt, the brunt of this. Unbelievable. By the way, when Biden is in New York, you know who he's not going to see? Mayor Adams, the mayor of New York, who just a year ago, they were doing like bear hugs and talking about how amazing they are, giving each other pats on the back about how awesome the two of them are. Now they can't even meet. And Adams, by the way, it's not because he's you know out of the country. He's meeting with a ton of other world leaders, but he can't meet with the, his own president because he's out there talking about how immigration is killing New York City. I mean, unbelievable. 
They can't meet because that's how bad it is. The optics that Adams has to, if he were to meet, has to say, hey, your policies are killing our city, even though I welcome them as a sanctuary city. Pretty unbelievable. So, you know, I, I just, it, it is mind boggling to me. And, and this is just another example of the past. It's like, oh, Biden and Adams can't meet. Really? You want to mention why? Because there's a bunch of immigration, illegal immigrants flooding the city that Adams says are destroying it. And he's pointing the finger at the Biden administration. I, I you know, it is unbelievable what's happening. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Obviously, we have impeachment going on here, this inquiry that the House has just said they're going to, uh, Jim Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, is going to have a hearing next week. We've got the spending issue. Jim Jordan's going to break it all down. Uh, that's coming right up. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to the Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to get back to this impeachment inquiry uh, that I just mentioned a moment ago because this thing's going to continue to heat up. And I believe that we really need to make the case. You've heard me say this before. Jim Jordan is going to join us in just a second. And I don't, I think that I mentioned this yesterday, but Nancy Mace was on this week. Jim Jordan's been out there on Fox and all over the place talking about the receipts that the kids call them. You know, the emails, the texts, the big guy. Tony Bobolinsky, Devin Archer, the testimony talking about Biden being in the room or calling into these business meetings after saying he had nothing to do with it. But if Republicans want the average American to be on board, they need to make the case better. They need to tell people what this evidence are, is, why what Biden did is rises to the level of impeachment. Remember, High crimes and misdemeanor, treason or bribery. That's what the Constitution says. So next Thursday, they're going to have this hearing in the House Oversight Committee for the first time and start to go through a lot of this stuff. And I think it's important that they systematically make a good case. You heard Seb Gorka's criticism yesterday. He doesn't think um, Comer is, is making a strong enough case. There's word out that he's going to subpoena the personal bank records for both Hunter and James Biden. And I think it's important to show, here's the money. Here's the flow of money. Here's where it's going. We already know that they weren't qualified for it. So we know that. Um, and I think it's important, though, to break down all of the evidence that does exist because you hear it over and over and over again from these folks in the media. John Carl, the folk, Abby Phillip on CNN, she was questioning Matt Gates. There's no evidence. There is evidence. You may not like it. You may not find it compelling, folks, in the media, but it exists. It's unequivocal. Devin Archer testified about his business dealings with Hunter Biden. Tony Bobolinsky testified. 
There are text messages, there's email, there's a video of Biden interacting with people and, and Hunter standing there, right? So we know that exists. And I think that they just need to start doing a better job of making sure that people see it. I mean, I would hold it up. Here it is. Here's the record. Here's the sheet that shows this. But they need to do a better job because you cannot have the media. I get it. They're covering form. They got the memo. We talked about it yesterday. They, they, the White House sent that memo out to these news organizations about how you have to cover it. And they all took it in, which is great. Um, and so we've got a lot to break down on that front. I also want to talk to, to, to Chairman Jordan about what's going on in the House on spending. Because we are down to the wire on funding the government. Now, again, a shutdown for a little while isn't the end of the world. So, but here's my question. When the House Freedom Caucus, which is made up of, of the hardcore folks that Jim Jordan helped found, cuts a deal and says, hey, we're good with this. And then you've got people like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene saying it's not good enough. Then what, what is it they want? Because you can't tell me that you get an 8% cut in spending. You get HR2, which is the border bill. And you're still not happy. I get it. Not everyone's going to get everything. But that's a pretty hardcore deal, folks. <laughs> and you're getting told that that's not good enough? You, at some point, take a win. That's not everything. But it's moving the ball in the right direction. What the Senate sent over is a joke. I am embarrassed for a lot of those Republicans that voted for that. It's like they, they all cut these deals. Because, you know, we've heard it before. I mean, Ron Johnson, when he was on, on, on the show, they, they're, they want spending too. They want to go home and tell you that they're hardcore conservatives and fiscal, that fiscal discipline is important to them, but it's not. So these guys in the House standing firm is a big deal. And if you can't do it, then the Senate's just going to say, great, you didn't pass anything. So pass this. I also want to get his take on, on Speaker McCarthy. I think that's going to be important as well. Um, but interestingly, Hunter Biden actually, as I mentioned, this, sued the IRS. What a dummy. You really want to get into this? You want these guys talking more openly through, the, through a case about what you did do, what you didn't pay taxes on? Because it wasn't, it was shady business deals, write-offs that no one is allowed to do. You can't write off a hooker. Pretty sure my accountant said that. And yet he was trying to do that. So I'm not really sure that this is the place that you want to go, Hunter. Suing the IRS, saying that these whistleblowers revealed too much information about you. Eh, be careful what you wish for. All right. Um, as I mentioned, we have a great interview with Jim Jordan coming up. As I, I told you a minute ago, Jim, obviously, member of Congress from Ohio. He represents the 4th District, but he has been a leader in fiscal discipline, holding this administration accountable. He was a great friend of President Trump during the White House, continues to be a big supporter of President Trump. But aside from his chairmanship of the Judiciary Committee, I think I mentioned this a minute ago, he um, founded the Freedom Caucus. So when Jim Jordan tells you the deal is good, that's kind of like the good housekeeping seal of approval for conservatives. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you. Without further ado, let me bring in the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan. Mr. Chairman, thank you for joining us today. Uh, news coming out, obviously, that your colleague, uh, Chairman Jim Comer of the Oversight Committee, is starting this first hearing. What, just for a moment, 
lay out the goal of the impeachment inquiry. Is it to build a case, to find more evidence? What do you guys hope to achieve through the inquiry process? I don't know that it's that there's a set thing you're trying to achieve. I just think it it's something that you have to do because that's our duty. We have a constitutional duty to do oversight. When you have this much evidence, this many facts piling up and pointing to potential wrongdoing from the president of the United States, you have to move to the next phase of our constitutional duty to do oversight, which is an impeachment inquiry phase. And frankly, what that does is once you move into that phase, courts have long recognized that now we're functioning from a, 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 a duty in the Constitution that's exclusively the House of Representatives, the impeachment power of the House. That is our basis for getting information. And if you get into these conflicts with the executive branch, as inevitably happened, the courts are much more likely to say, okay, the House is engaged in a fundamental duty they have under the Constitution that exclusively resides with them, more inclined to give us the, the benefit of getting the documents and access to witnesses that we want. And so th that's why I think we had to go here. I thought the speaker was right to do so. And we're just going to continue to do our oversight work and get the facts. All right. So let's dispel some of the myths from the left. I want to start with uh, and I'm going to build up because there's some. Myths. But the first one is um, when when Trump was indicted, Republicans in the House were very clear that there was not an initial vote to to begin this process. Democrats are now, of course, using that and saying, well, Republicans aren't following what they'd preached for for Democrats to do. How do you answer that? Well, uh, look, uh, Speaker McCarthy said there may be a vote at some point. Second, you don't need to have a vote to move into this phase. There are court cases on, on that. There's been judges who've been impeached and there was never a vote by the full house to proceed with that. So it's not a requirement under our constitutional system. But I do know what the Democrats did. They actually began an impeachment, an impeachment and not just inquiry and investigation. They were full tilt into it. Because I had to leave the, the Adam Schiff bunker down in the basement of the Capitol <laughs> to go to the floor to vote on. I, I, I remember saying this at the press event after the vote. I said I had to leave an impeachment deposition to go to the floor to open an impeachment inquiry. So, I mean, they, they, get, they got it totally backwards. We'll see. We'll see if there's a, a, a vote that happens. But I do know when the, when the guy who's Speaker of the House announces that we're in an impeachment inquiry phase, that that has significance because here's the guy who's second in line to the president of the United States. Uh, and again, the courts have, have long recognized you don't necessarily need a vote to move to this, uh, this phase of our oversight work. So the other thing that's interesting is that when they were going after President Trump, particularly on the second indictment, I, I thought, of, thought it was hysterical because the guy was out of office. The whole point of impeachment is to remove yeah. somebody from office. But let me go down a rabbit hole with you. The issues stemming from President Biden don't necessarily have to do with him being president. They deal with him being vice president primarily. Do you think that impeachment um, must contain concerns and charges relevant to the office that you currently hold? Or can you go back in time? Meaning, in this case, we're going back and looking at and are we establishing new precedent? Meaning, if this is the case and President Trump gets reelected, could we go back and look at him as a private citizen, maybe? My point is, I had always, I think a lot of Democrats would say, well, you're not actually looking at Trump, uh, Biden for actions and concerns um, that he committed while president of the United States. We're looking at concerns while he was in office, both of, as a United States senator, more importantly, as vice president. But uh, I, I don't think it's just limited to that because you got also what's taken place in the Justice Department. We have an important hearing with Merrick Garland coming up. So the, 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 I think that's important too, how they handled this investigation by David Weiss in the 
uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware with Hunter Biden. I think that is part of this, too, how they handled that and the idea that they let the statute of limitations run for the most significant tax violations in the tax years. But it seems to me they may have let that run because it dealt with Burisma, which has real implications for the president of the United States. So this is all part of his current administration. So I think it's it's both. Um, and we will look at all that as we proceed in our investigation. So I've played these clips over and over again. And this weekend on the Sunday shows, we heard almost every um, host parrot this no evidence talking point. Nancy Mace made a very compelling case. I've heard you make the compelling case. You know, here are the emails. Here are the text messages. Here are the calls into uh, business meetings at Hunter Biden. What do Republicans have to do to persuade? And I get that this may be a tall order, so don't get me wrong, but I think that there's a case that the American people need to see that isn't about Hunter Biden, but it directly links Joe Biden to Hunter Biden's nefarious activities. What do you and the other leaders need to show the American people to get them to understand that this does involve Joe Biden and not just Hunter Biden? Well, yeah, I think there's the, the whole package. There's the dinners, the meetings, the phone calls. The, the, the brand was, in fact, Joe Biden. Uh, that's not me saying that. That's, that's right. Hunter Biden's business partner, Devin Archer, in a, in a deposition under oath. There's 10% for the big guy. There's the WhatsApp message, which was the sort of the shakedown message that comes from Hunter Biden. He says his dad's sitting right beside him. So there's all that. But I think when you boil it all down, it's really four central facts regarding Burisma. So fact number one, Hunter Biden's put on the board of Burisma. Fact number two, he's not qualified to be on the board of Burisma. Fact number three, the head of Burisma tells Hunter Biden, we're under pressure from the prosecutor and others. We need relief from that pressure. Fact number four, Joe Biden, five days after that message is communicated to D.C., Joe Biden goes to Ukraine and starts the process of getting the prosecutor fired. And he does so by leveraging our tax money, the people of the 4th District of Ohio, their tax money. He does it. And most importantly, that fourth fact, that fourth fact is is um, uh, kind of confirms what the confidential human source said in the 1023 form. Now, if that's not compelling evidence that this family was benefiting from activity and policy preferences were done and money exchanged, I don't know what is. So but, that's what we're looking into. We think that is the kind of central to the matter. And then you add to it the layer of how the Justice Department handled the investigation and tried to make this all disappear with the plea deal and made sure that the statute of limitations lapsed for Burisma, the central facts of the case. So we got millions of dollars that we know of coming from these entities, China, Ukraine, Romania, I think Russia, others, you guys have put out these reports showing they're flowing to Hunter Biden, his associates, his other family members, uh, nephews, godchildren, people who his Facebook friend. I mean, it's literally unbelievable. How important is it to show money flowing directly into Joe Biden's bank account? I mean, I, I don't, that's, if you're looking at bribery, it doesn't have to be money coming directly to the individual. It could be benefiting his family. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But um, I do know that Chairman Comer is looking to get access to the banking records of, of Biden family members. So uh, he's going to pursue that. Um, he's got the SARS reports, which given us, have given us a lot of information about the number of companies, the, num- the, the amount of money flowing to multiple m- members of the Biden family. Ultimately, he wants to get to the bank records, and he's going to pursue that as, as quickly as he possibly can. So I had Seb Gorka on the show yesterday, and, and he was respectfully critical of Chairman Comer's examples that he's using, right? And, and this gets back to what I was asking a moment ago. 
how important is it that we message the concerns that you're bringing up to the American people? Because the press, I mean, as I said, I mean, it is unbelievable how they are parroting the talking points of the White House. But at the end of the day, I do believe that it's important that the average American can understand why this process is happening and what the basic evidence is that you just detailed. So what do Republicans writ large need to do to make a stronger case that the person walking down the street in Ohio's fourth congressional district or Washington, D.C. or California says, "Okay, I may not agree with everything the House is doing, but here's what they have. Or I heard this piece of evidence. What what does the House in particular need to do to echo and amplify that message? Uh, Again, I think you just got to keep saying it and pointing out the facts. That's why I say there's four facts relative to Burisma, which I think are essential. There's the fact that the White House story has changed multiple times. First, it was he did nothing wrong. Then it was, well, he did nothing wrong. He may have done a few things wrong, but I didn't know about it. Then it was, oh, he he may have did some things wrong, but I, I had no part of that. I wasn't involved whatsoever. And then it's like, oh, Shazam, I was on phone calls, dinner meetings, had a two-hour dinner with the, the wealthiest woman in Moscow back in, in, in 2014. So it's like that story keeps changing. I think that's compelling in and of itself. But those four central facts and how they match up with what the confidential human source said and was recorded in a 1023 form that the FBI tried to keep from Congress, for goodness sake. So that's pretty compelling stuff. And we haven't even got to the bank records that Mr. Comer is pursuing. So, okay, so part of the reason that uh, allegedly McCarthy hasn't had a vote, and even if we do have a vote at some point to impeach him, you're going to need to win over some of your colleagues who have expressed concern. When you talk to them and make that case, here are the four points. Here's the White House changing story. Does that move them? Do they want more? What is it that they need to see? I, I think I think now my colleagues fully understand why it was appropriate, why it was warranted to move to an impeachment inquiry phase of oversight. I think they get it now because we have been talking to them. We had a conference last week where we laid out the facts for for our colleagues in the House. Frankly, it should, I think it's important for the entire House of Representatives to know, not just Republicans, right. but all, all, everyone to take a look at these facts because they are so, I think, so compelling that we have to go to this stage to, and do our constitutional duty. And certainly a thousand times more compelling than any facts the Democrats had when they did this to President Trump, their ridiculous impeachment of him four years ago. I mean, and here's the irony, shot. They, they said that President Trump leveraged American tax dollars to get a certain policy outcome in Ukraine. The truth is he didn't. Ukraine did nothing and they got the money. In this situation, Joe Biden leveraged American tax dollars to get a policy outcome and he got the policy out. He got the guy fired. And that was an abrupt change in in, in the foreign policy of the Obama administration. And you know it was an abrupt change because guess what? They had okayed the money. They were willing to give the money to Ukraine with Shokin as prosecutor and Joe Biden changed that. And he changed it five days after he got a phone call from the from Zolachevsky and Hunter Biden saying we're under pressure from this prosecutor. If that isn't compelling, I don't know what is. So let me just what is it that you hope to achieve big picture? Right. Let's say you get the votes. The House impeaches Biden and it goes to the Senate controlled uh, the Democrat, the Democrat controlled Senate. What is it that if, if you could say what is the end goal? Let's just put it that way. Well, I don't look at it that way, Sean. I mean, I look at it as we have a duty to conduct oversight in the House. And then when you move that duty to an impeachment inquiry phase, you're functioning out of a, an, ex, a, an exclusive right, exclusive power, I should say, that the House of Representatives have. 
We should do it simply because this is our constitutional obligation to do so. It's not driven by anything else, not about politics, not about getting back, not about anything like that. It's about the facts. It's about the evidence. And if that warrants moving all the way to articles of impeachment and then voting that in the Senate, that's where it goes. But right now we're in the inquiry phase and we're going to do our due diligence. We're going to we're going to get the facts and the evidence for the American people. More importantly, for the members of the House of Representatives. And we'll see if it moves to the next uh, next stage. I want to switch gears to, to the spending issue that's going on in Congress. You had this apparent deal reached between members of the Main Street Partnership, the more moderate wing of the Republican conference, and then yeah. members of the House Freedom Caucus. We're talking Byron Donalds, Chip Roy. Scott Perry, no squishes. I mean, these guys, you know, I, yeah. I think their their hardcore card is checked. Um, yep. It fell apart. You had folks like Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene saying no. Where does this thing end up? I don't know. I hope we can pass something. Uh, it seems to me we should we should we should fund the government for some amount of time. Give us a chance to actually get the appropriation bills done. Uh, but when we fund the government, we should do it with, with by saying, look. We understand this is a crisis and it's not just Jim Jordan talking, it's the mayor of New York talking, this crisis on our border and the implications for the entire country. So let's put on language on that bill that says, we're gonna, we're gonna actually fix the problem. We're gonna say no new migrants can be released into the United States. That, that, that makes sense to me. So let's, let's make that the bill, let's send it to the Senate and then tell Chuck Schumer, really? You're gonna vote against that? <coughs> you're gonna say that in your city where your mayor just spoke out about this? That you're not gonna you're not gonna you know adopt this policy and have that real debate. I think that's that's where the country needs to go, and that's what I hope we can get done. We'll see if we can get the votes here in the next few days. But, but what what kind of amazes me is that if you're a Freedom Caucus member, you get an eight percent cut in domestic spending on this vote. You get everything in HR two, which is all that border security minus you verify, and it's only thirty days. I I guess what I'm trying to figure out is you've got Gates and Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene and some others, and I'm going, what is is there a point at which you have to say, give us your cards, tell us what you want? Because for a 30-day deal, this sounds like a pretty big win. No, I think it is. I'm, I'm for it. I think it makes sense. Um, let's, let's send it over there. Now, we're going to get something back probably different from, from Chuck Schumer. But if we can't send anything over, it's tough to negotiate. Right. So let's, let's, let's send something over. And this makes sense to me. More importantly, I think it makes sense to the American people. Like everyone understands the border under Joe Biden is a mess. There is no border. So, and we've seen the numbers and all that. Let's send this bill over there and let's let's get a win on securing, helping to secure the border for the American people. I, see, and this is what I, I find, I think a lot of people find frustrating. What you're saying is unbelievably common sense. I mean, this isn't crazy. It's like, hey, we should secure our border. We should know who's coming in. We should stop human trafficking and fentanyl and terrorists from coming in. I, I just, I don't get from a messaging standpoint, I think what you just said was spot on. Let's jam them and make Chuck Schumer vote against the mayor of his own, you know, biggest city in a state and say, great, tell Eric Adams that you're voting yeah. against this. Yeah, and you saw what happened last week. There was a number of Democrat members of Congress up in New York and they were getting screamed at because of the problem. Whether they're, they're looking to put now a, a migrant camp in, the, in a national park up there in New York. I mean, it's like, this is out of control. Everyone can see it. If we make that the central issue, I would be in favor of a CR that goes over there without anything else on it but the immigration issue. And you you totally focus them. You're someone who understands how you message. You totally focus the message on one issue, 
one fundamental issue that the country is overwhelmingly with us on, yes. make that the issue, and then dare Chuck, you're really going to vote against that. But you you're understand- really going to you're going to shut down the government for that? Give me a break. So the President Biden is in New York City today for the UN General Assembly. Yeah. Eric Adams won't meet with him. He's meeting with the Swedes and all these other countries, and won't meet with the President of the United States because they're at conflict on this issue. What I mean, it's literally. We have the, the perfect opportunity right now today, and it's the infighting that is stopping us from winning this. I couldn't agree more. And I would, like I said, I would be in favor of just making that the one issue you put on this bill to fund the government for a short amount of time, make that the one issue and make the entire debate about that and tell Chuck Schumer, okay, you think it's more important to allow the government to shut down than it is to secure our border but and then quit why, releasing okay, migrants all over the so, country. So listen, you are a leader in this effort, not just on Hunter Biden, but I, I don't think anybody would ever question your conservative credentials, ever. W- what does it take for you to go to these other members and say, guys, we, literally the ball is on the racket, just hit it. Yeah, I've done it. I've, I spoke in conference last week and I said exactly what I just said to you, uh, Sean. So I've said it. I'll keep saying it. I said that we had a meeting last night with the Freedom Caucus. I talked about this last night there too. Um, so I, that, that's that's what I'm for. Now the bill they put together does a few more things than that. I'm willing to vote for that too. Right. But I just like let's let's get something over there. But let's make the focus that one issue. And then you know how politics works. You can't you can't solve everything at once. But you 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 find one good issue and you win on that. And then the next time, guess what? Then maybe you can fight on two good issues and win on that. That's how American politics works. And so that's what I think we should focus on. I, I, I mean, I preach, preach on this one because I feel like you got one last question. Last night, we passed $33 trillion in debt. Um, and I know, again, this bill, the CR, at least the short-term one, would start to address this. But do you think that the Republican Party and members of the House conference have lost their way on fiscal discipline or is there an appetite to, to address the, the debt and the deficit anymore? No, I, I think there is. I think we're the party of growth. We're the party that says you can't have uncontrolled spending. Actually, the, the, a lot of people criticize the debt ceiling agreement, but it's the first debt ceiling agreement I've ever seen where we actually reduced discretionary, agreed on a number that reduced discretionary spending year to year. That's never happened in the time I've been here. So um, we're making some some small progress there. But the problem is so big now, we're at a point where we're going to have to pretty soon not just make small progress. We're going to do some 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 bigger things. Um, but I think that is best done when we get President Trump back in the White House. We get a Republican back in the White House like President Trump, who gets our economy growing. You ha- when you you do this when you're growing, when you're, and then you can begin to bring the spending curve down as a percentage of government spending as a percentage of your economy. That's where you got to get. But you can't get there if you don't have the kind of growth that we had under President Trump. That's why I want him back in the White House so we can get back to that growth. I I apologize. I do have one last question. Do you think that that with all this spending that Kevin McCarthy survives this? I you know, he's he's quoted this morning is basically saying, call my bluff. We're going to vote on this thing. Um, Some of these folks are threatening a motion to vacate. Does McCarthy survive this? I think so. I think this is it's wrong to have a motion to vacate. I think Kevin's done a good job. I really do. And it's a, a tough job. But I, I would say the Republican speakers I've had the opportunity to uh, to serve with, I really like what Kevin's done. Um, I think I think that the empowerment he's given to members, the policies we've got through the House, we couldn't get through an immigration enforcement border security bill when we had a huge majority under under the previous Republican speaker. But we got it through the House. This now, of course, Chuck Schumer didn't take it up, but 
but you know, so I think, I think, um, I think he's done a nice job. I really do. And I hope that we don't have that motion. If it happens, I think he's uh, stays the speaker though. I just hope it doesn't happen. I agree. All right. Chairman Jim Jordan, I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing you your thoughts with us. Really appreciate it. Thanks, John. Take care. You bet. Enjoyed that conversation as always. I don't think I'd, I've had a bad conversation since we kicked the show off. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, interesting. I, I agree with Jim Jordan. Listen, Kevin McCarthy, you can't blame him. These deals are, this is a, the best deal that we're going to get on spending. And if you don't like it, come up with an answer. But you can't just tweet out, I don't like it. I'm going to vote no. Grow up. This is about governing. We can finally move the ball forward as conservatives, get some border security, get reduced spending. So if you got a better idea, put it forward. But we're moving the ball forward finally as conservatives. And I'm excited about that. And if you want to govern and be in the majority, we've got to show the American people that we're worthy of their support. And we're not just Democrat light. So I agree with Jim Jordan. If he says that this is a good deal, it's a good deal. Um, It'll be interesting to see how, what the fallout is from the UN, um, where we go on the spending stuff. And then, as I said, this impeachment in, um, hearing for next week will start to gather some steam, I think, with people hoping to see if this can move the ball forward, persuade some more people. Um, so that'll be great. Tomorrow on the show, uh, you may have heard of our guest, Scott Pressler. He's been out there, despite not getting a ton of support from the establishment party apparatus, registering people, getting people back in the game. He's been extremely active and successful at getting it done. Um, As we gear towards elections this year in New Jersey, Kentucky, Virginia, this is a nice test run. I'm going to be interested to talk to Scott Pressler about what he's doing on the ground to make things happen. Um, And again, the beautiful thing is it's outside the apparatus. And this just shows for all the people who don't like the party, what you can do if you put your mind to it and, uh, and you build an audience and make things happen. So I'm excited. You're not gonna wanna miss this discussion because as I said, the, the beautiful thing is it's, it's, he's doing it. He's not just talking about it. And I like that. Anyway, thank you for watching the show. Uh, if you haven't already, please go to YouTube and Rumble, hit that subscribe and notification button. And also go to Apple Podcasts. This is where all the big corporate entities look to see how we're doing. And guess what, because of you, We're doing really well and we're growing. So thank you for that. I appreciate everyone who's watching on the first and I'll see you right back here tomorrow on the Sean Spicer Show.